welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Alan Heyman. And Alan and I open up Act One here with, of course, hearing the story of his growing up, about being the child of immigrants, about his experience of visiting his ancestral home of Israel. And we move from there all the way to a deep dive into the realms of creativity. And not going to give you any other spoilers. It's a great conversation. Alan is an absolute delight to speak with. As you'll hear, there's a lot of laughter in this episode. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Quick reminder, if you haven't yet, please subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's listen in. Alan Heyman, welcome. It's a delight to have you here on Mojo for the Modern Man. Thank you so much, Ken. I'm really glad to be able to spend a little time with you and your listeners today. Yeah, and I'm glad to have you. What was it like growing up in your part of the world? It was different. So I grew up in the suburbs in a pretty homogenous, white, you know, upper middle class, Christian, although I wasn't kind of community. I was an only child. Uh, And I think through that experience, I learned how to be an introvert properly, I suppose, Uh, in the sense that I had a lot of time to myself. I had a lot of use of my imagination. I read a lot of books. Uh, I was also not a very athletic child. So uh, I had uh, even more time to myself and even more book time probably than the other kids my age who were growing up, growing up where I did. Yeah, I'm curious because you said I learned how to be a proper introvert, um, <laughs> which, which makes me wonder, are, are there improper intervie- introverts? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, and I will say, I don't think I learned the distinction behind that term until I was a young adult, you know, possibly past college. And so what I mean by that is uh, some people are never comfortable in solitude. And I certainly am and have been for as long as I can remember. And I think that experience of growing up the only child in a somewhat isolated environment is, is what helped me into that space uh, before I knew, you know, I was an introvert or even that other people were introverts as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and as, you, as you think back on that, uh, particularly on your childhood, let's focus there for just a moment. Um, uh, aside from learning to be comfortable with solitude and g- guiding your own ship, so to speak, chasing your own interests, what were the things, you know, maybe events, episodes that feel like they were, as you look back retrospectively, seem like, oh, yeah, that that one I could mark as as truly formative. OK, so uh, I am the son of an immigrant. Uh, I have still to this day a, a grandmother over in Israel. And there was a lot of international travel from a fairly young age visiting family. And that definitely leaves an impression on a person, especially when uh, you're going to a place where, where your roots are. And so I think from a young age, I learned how to appreciate uh, being in different spaces, being in different cultures, being in different languages uh, in a way that, you know, a lot of a lot of kids don't have the privilege of growing up and having. Uh, and that was certainly formative. Uh, and it wasn't a single event, but kind of a series of events over the course of my growing up. Yeah, and any any highlights in terms of oh this this particular place really impressed me or or left, you know, left lasting impression. 
I think so. And, and, and this is something that I think uh, everybody who spends time in that part of the world eventually realizes, but this realization came early for me, which is that, uh, you know, over here in the United States, we have not been doing this thing that we do for very long compared to the rest of the world. Uh, so I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, that's a fairly modern area by historical standards and then later moved to the East Coast as a young adult living in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, you know, things are kind of old in D.C. in the sense that there's our nation's history and it became the capital not long after the founding and all of this. You go to Israel and you're looking at things that are thousands of years old, right. you know, cradle of civilization kind of stuff. Uh, that leaves a mark. That's, uh, you know, it's kind of a humbling experience for a young person. And and if you could dismantle it or or give it some, you know, narrate it a bit, I think, what, you know, and I, and I know I'm getting a little picky here, but I, I find it fascinating. You know, also having spent time, not, at, not in Israel, but in, in Europe, you know, looking at standing in cathedrals that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, having a beer at an 800-year-old pub, that sort of thing. Um, you know, what was your thought process or, uh, or your big, uh-huh, about the age of that, that place, if you will? Yeah, so I think I'll start from me and kind of broaden the, the idea outward a little bit. Yeah, go. So when you're a young person, when you're an only child, when you have abilities that are recognized, everything centers around you. It's a very egotistical time. Uh, and, you, you know, you feel like you're on top of the world and you can do anything and everybody believes in you. And essentially everything in the entire world is there for your taking. And you come into an environment all of a sudden where you feel very small and very mm -hmm. historically insignificant. So you realize, you know, the universe has been there for a lot longer than you have, and it's going to be there a lot longer after you go. Uh, and, you know, you want to have a conversation with an eight-year-old about his own mortality? Maybe not, but, you know, that, that sort of became a theme earlier on in my life than I suppose it does for, for, for most people. And now I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and I, I can't imagine uh, her having that thought process going on, you know, in her head at this age. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's fascinating. And, 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 and one of the things that strikes me there, and I'm curious if this was your experience or not, because you mentioned, you know, rec recognition of, of your mortality. Um, was that actually something that, that played a role? Uh, played a role in what? Played a role in, 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 you know, in, in the realizations you had in, in, in the Middle East. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, again, that, that feeling of, I, I'm going to mess this up because I'm not a historian or an anthropologist, but, but the notion of the entirety of the universe's uh, history being the human arm and then uh, our, our species being, you know, the tiny little bit of the fingertip that goes past the pinky or something along those lines. Uh, I, I was having thoughts like that at a pretty young age. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and, and how have those thoughts, you know, how do those thoughts continue to, to um, impact you or, or uh, find traction in, in now? Well, 
you know, it's not an entirely doom and gloom situation, as you might imagine. I've <laughs> <laughs> no, those would not be two of the first words that I would use to describe my experience of you, Alan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, but let's say the, the intervening decades have given me some perspective and uh, I enjoy my life. I really do. And uh, part of the thing that I enjoy about my life is that it's ever changing and very temporary. And, and you just, you know, uh, in, in work... I don't have a similar business day from one day to the next, and I love that about it. And similarly in life, there are things that seem to remain constant for a while, but actually don't. Uh, and there are things that are changing all the time. So uh, I, I guess it, it took a long, long time for me to learn how to just roll with it a little bit, but that's uh, it, it, it's a comfortable place for me to be right now. Yeah. Well, there, I, I love what you're pointing toward here because there's something, this is my opinion, I'm probably preaching to the choir, but there is something about making peace with the, you know, cliches become cliches for a reason. That's because there's truth to them, that the only constant is change. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and uh, I know for me personally, I know this isn't true universally. But for me personally, there's, um, there's a lot of magic in that. And and I have to say also a whole lot of relief. Yeah. Yeah. So take us forward in your story a little bit. You know, and 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 particularly looking for other experiences you had that that when you look at them now, you know, oh aha, pivotal moment, pivotal moment. Sure. So, uh, you know, if you want to bridge the gap a little bit between childhood and young adulthood, uh, I was very much a news junkie at a fairly young age, uh, mm. as in, you know, we would get the daily Chicago newspaper and, and you know, I would read it from middle school onward and, and just be very curious about how the world worked and current events. Uh, grew up at the time watching some of the best local television news in the country. And I, I, I realized I just said best in local television news in the same sentence. I want to acknowledge that. Uh, <laughs> it was a different time. And, uh, you know, some of the really iconic figures uh, of the moment were on the air. And that had a direct influence on me. And in that when I went to high school, I joined the local uh, or the high school newspaper. And in my experience in working for the high school newspaper, yes, I learned how to write. And yes, those are skills that have carried with me, you know, to this day, every day. And it helped me understand more about how to think. And it was the first time that I really had that kind of experience. I was keen on, on learning facts and figures and how to do the math problems and the historical dates and all these things, but how to think, how to analyze a situation critically, how not to accept the first thing that somebody tells you as the gospel, uh, really just kind of an eye-opening experience. And there's a straight line from that experience into journalism school and college, journalist, you know, on the air at a television station for the first few years of my career, dot, 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 now as an executive and leadership coach, um, wow, it is all about storytelling and having conversations with people, uh, you know, even even to this day. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, the, what was it about, because uh, writing is not the only path to critical thinking on the one hand, but what was it about, for you, what was it about writing that that really, I'm going to use the word, captured you? Um, I think that we are all creative, expressive people. And when I hear somebody saying, oh, I'm just not that creative, or, you know, I just, I'm, I'm not that good at whatever that is, it, you know, it can be self-limiting. It can be self-taught. 
but we all have different means of our best creative expression. And I am just extremely privileged and fortunate to have found mine at an early age. So I'm not a painter. I, you know, my wife is an art teacher. She's an artist. She's, she's brilliant. She illustrated a book that we worked on together last year. That's not my mode of self-expression. Mine is, mine is words and, and thoughts and ideas and the ability to connect with an audience, the ability to grab hold of something and figure it out and explain it to people who know nothing about it is incredibly powerful. And that's what I spent my career as a journalist and as a communicator doing. Uh, and to some extent, you know, even today when I'm writing blog posts or guest articles or, or, or even speaking on a podcast like this one, I, I, I love laying that stuff out there. And that is my best form of self-expression and one that honestly, I wish I would do a little bit more even today. Pardon the intrusion. Hope you're enjoying this conversation between myself and Alan Heyman. And come by my website, KenMossman.com. We'll get you there. See what I've got going on. And let's dive back into the conversation. Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I share your love of writing. Um, I want to say that. And creative expression. And, 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 and I'm very taken by what you've said. Because I think oftentimes, in, in my experience anyway... An awful lot of creative energy gets poured into explaining away one's creativity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fascinating to me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you... Well, I'm, uh, you know, let's go here and I want to save a little bit. I want to save some of your work pieces for the second half of our conversation for act two, uh, on the one hand, on the other hand, um, uh, there's a segue here. It's presented itself. Let's not pretend that it, that it hasn't. And that is, you know, what role do you see in the work that you do with your clients, with your charges? What role do you see creativity playing, not just for you on your side of the relationship, but even more so for the people that you are working with. Fascinating. Um, I think a lot of times, and, and, and this is not necessarily the thing that the person comes into coaching with. It's not their, their presenting issue. It's not their defining statement. But it is, in some respects, helping them to capture some of their creativity. Uh, and I want to be careful about that. I'm not an art coach or a drawing coach. Uh, uh, I recognize I'm speaking to a guy who's got two, gar two, two guitars behind him as we're having this interview. Uh, <laughs> but say helping, nothing of a painting, yeah. <laughs> yes, don't want yeah. to ignore the painting. Uh, but helping them capture some aspect of the creativity that maybe they left behind or, or just haven't, you know, played around with in a while. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be through analogy in that I will ask a client to paint a picture for me with words, uh, to, to share what a situation they're describing might look like, or to share what a situation they would like to have happen would look like if they can't quite picture it. Uh, that can be very powerful. Uh, you know, latching onto an analogy or two of my own or from a previous client is always something that, that you know, is, is, is a useful tool in a coaching session. And uh, I personally have not done much of this, but I've, I've explored a little bit um, 
there is a methodology for the use of Lego in coaching and facilitation. And uh, I've got some friends who have done it, and it's definitely on my list for exploring in the coming year because I, I set in on a workshop once where they just, you know, they mailed a pile of this stuff to my house and they had us make things uh, during this webinar. And it was it was fascinating because I, you know, I probably haven't used them in, in 30 years. And um, I, I don't... Uh, I don't consider myself necessarily the the, the expert on on small construction uh, that some people are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the beautiful things about what you're saying here is that, first of all, you know, creativity can take many forms. You know, we touched on that already, but but uh, never (laughs) never always worth reiterating. But the other piece. is that there is something about doing something differently. And I love that you brought in the, 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 the Legos um, because there's something, something in there about playing with this, you know, this quote unquote toy. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, all Lego masters are not children. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an interesting point. Um, but there's something about getting your hands on uh, something like Legos or, 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 you know, if you're not someone who's a visual artist playing with drawing, or if you're not a writer playing with words that, that force us, I think in potentially in a playful way, if one doesn't take it too seriously, that, that both force us and allow us to begin to think differently, literally using different parts of our brains. Yeah. Hundred percent agree with that, and and one thing that comes up not a little in coaching is the idea that if you're feeling stuck, in whatever way, you know, at work, in a relationship, with a project, if you go off and do something that you've never done before, and that something is creative, it opens up the mind to function in different ways. And the thing that we need to get past as adults of a certain age is you can't really try something new without being willing to be terrible at it, (laughs) you know? And when you're in middle age, like I am, you want to be good at stuff. You want, you know, to make a difference. You want to have like a a coherent work product in front of you. And one of my favorite stories about this is uh, my mother-in-law who's over 60 recently learned to play the ukulele. Uh, And you know, that's not an easy instrument. And it definitely has a following. And there are people who are brilliant at it, who you can look up on YouTube. Uh, But she's having a great time, not just with the actual musical expression, but with the learning. And P.S. and by the way, with the community of people she's connected with uh, who are also doing a similar exploration. And it's totally outside of the realm of, of anything I've really known her to do in the past, other than it's a new thing. And she's a person who loves to explore. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I, I'm not going to go into my own experience with these, <laughs> with these stringed instruments, uh, and there's there's some similarity there, so we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, so uh, we're going to wrap Act One in a, in a couple of minutes here, and maybe this is a place to begin to, um, to to draw the conversation to a stopping point, knowing we'll be back for a second second conversation. If you were to suggest to someone who, particularly someone who doesn't consider themselves quote-unquote creative, mm-hmm. um, where would you point them to begin? Um, well, one, 
I would probably want to do a certain amount of questioning of that assertion because mm-hmm. uh, we all create things. Right. And, you know, even the most linear, logical, straight up by the book, not emotionally expressive manager of software engineers that I've worked with as a client has created brilliant code early in their career and just right. loves that, you know, that return on you put it in and here's what comes out. So that is, that is creative. That's the first thing. So let's figure out what you're actually creating because you're creating something. You're creating muscles in the gym. You're creating, you know, works of art on the plate for your family after work when you're cooking dinner. You're creating a clean home, whatever it is. And then what if you explored the possibility of doing something creative that is completely outside of that realm? What might that look like for you? What does it mean to, as I said, be terrible at it? What are the you know, resources and connections that you might need to make that possible? And what could be, you know, what could be some interesting results? Beautiful. And, 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 and one more thing, because we, because it's shown up twice in this conversation, and that is be willing to be terrible at something. Like yes. be, be willing to be bad before you're mediocre. Um, yes. And all, all, the, all the way up. So again, what would you suggest in order to to break through? Because you know, many of us are attached to, you know, attached to doing things right, attached to doing things well, attached to, quote unquote, looking good. Yeah. Well, so in most cases, you're going to be heading down a path that somebody has headed down before. Find that person figure out what it was like for them when their struggle was just beginning, you know, and I'm not talking about, you know, if, if let's say storytelling is your thing, don't find the most popular Ted or moth talk on the internet and look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. That person is awesome. I could never do that. That's not what you want to do. Uh, what you want to do instead is find the beginning of that journey. You want to find, you know, the first thing that that person did that, you know, maybe had way too many mistakes in it, was way too long, maybe, uh, you know, was 15 years old, but is still posted somewhere. Or you want to go talk to a person like that and find out, you know, what steps that they took and, and how did they fall flat along the way? And, and what consequence did all of that failing have on their future success? Uh, kind of peek back behind the curtain a little bit rather than comparing your starting point to everybody else's end point. Uh, or your inside to their outside. Yeah. I don't think I'm going out on a too skinny a brancher, but um, are, are, are you actually suggesting that people begin to enjoy failing? Uh, perhaps. Uh, or, or, or maybe the, uh, the, the, the slightly thicker limb that one might retreat to for that is, is to say, uh, get more comfortable with the idea. Yeah. Uh, embrace it perhaps a little bit more than we tend to run away from it. And, you know, let's be real here for a second. You need safety around you for that to be possible. So if we're talking about doing this in a work environment, let's say, you need a culture where failure is embraced and encouraged as a way to get to better success versus, you know, a culture where you are expected to be completely put together at all times and always have the correct answer and have it always work out. Uh, Because environments like that are not going to be encouraging a failure. And in my view, humble view, maybe shared by a few others, those are not the environments that are the most conducive to the growth of the people who work there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a yeah, I love that. And and that's a great note to end on that 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 yeah, those environments are well, again, cliches. You know, if you're not if 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 you're if you're not if you don't find comfort with failing, you know, failing forward air quotes, um it's really hard to to find any kind of sustainable success, particularly if part of what you're about is creating something new. Absolutely. And and just maybe a final thought on that before the intermission. Uh, we're used to thinking of failing as catastrophic. It's the F on the paper in school. It's the bankruptcy. It's the, you know, third divorce, whatever that is. There can be small F failures as well, and they can come along with successes. So, you know, if you're if you're developing a new service offering, let's say, and you get some initial hints that this aspect of it is working and that aspect of it isn't, you continue down the path of the thing that works and you embrace the part that didn't as something that gives you more information. And it's a failure in a sense because you develop this fully formed thing and some of it's not working, but that's how we grow and how we even get better at business and work versus like, oh, I'm despondent and I don't know how I shall move on from this failure, capital F kind of thing. <laughs> That's great. I don't want to leave on a note where you're despondent, um, <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that we're going to come back. <laughs> yes, you're not. <laughs> yeah, we're not. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Ken Mossman, your host here on Mojo for the Modern Man. And of course, my guest, Alan Heyman, for this first part of our conversation. I do hope you enjoyed it and found yourself laughing with us at times. If you want to learn more about Alan and his good work, of course, there are links in the intro notes for today's episode, and I certainly encourage you to go check them out. A quick shout out of gratitude to Carly Farrar for her copywriting expertise, to Megan Johnson for keeping me on the straight and narrow, both of them, of course, at Nacken Company, and to Josh Hines for his sound editing brilliance. And an invitation to come by my website as well, kenmossman.com, We'll get you there and check out all of the good stuff that I have going on. Of course, we'll be back with Act 2 of my conversation with Alan Heyman next week, or maybe even be there now, depending on when you're listening to this. And just to let you know, we take the deep dive into looking at the difference between cultures that support making errors and provide safety for the folks involved in those systems and leadership that doesn't do such a good job of that. And of course, a lot more. And with that, be well, take care, and we'll see you back here soon on Mojo for the Modern Man.